Let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you right now, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your church and just to be able to share your word and to be able to share your hope. And so, God, I pray this morning that, uh, that your glory would truly just be the one, uh, you would be the one to get the glory, Lord, and that you would just move and work within our hearts, Lord, that we would be able to receive what it is that you have for us to hear today, Lord. I just, uh, I just thank you for that. Lord, may the words that you've shared with me and laid upon my heart be the words, your words, directly for the church here this morning. And God, we trust you in that process. So, Lord, uh, go before us, and may we listen to exactly what it is that you'd have for us to hear today. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, I haven't been on a mic except for, actually, I got out my words last time. So I hope to go to stay on track here this morning as well, second service, because you never know what's going to happen the second time around. It never seems to be the same. All right. Even though I have it right here in front of me. But last week, Matt kicked off this series of finding hope in loss. And I tell you, it's going to impact all of us. If we're not walking through it, you will walk through it at some point in time. So it's, 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 applicable to all of our lives, absolutely. And there's, there's a quote that he shared that absolutely, I absolutely loved, and it set us up for today, uh, and I'll share it with you in a second, but there's four truths that we need to know before we read that quote, all right? Um, but if you weren't here last week, you need to go back because I referenced it and referred to it quite a bit uh, because it was, it's just necessary for what we're talking about today. So the four truths about loss, because we're talking about processing the loss today and how to go about grieving, we will all face loss in this life. And one of the things I want you guys to know and understand all throughout today, I'll, I'll use the words grief, sorrow, and loss. They're all the same word, all right? They're all, I mean the same thing when I say all three words. So we will all face loss in this life, every single one of us. Some of you in a room this size, there's, there's multiple ones of us going through it right now as I speak. Uh, every loss creates different levels of grief. Not all grief is equal, all right? But every loss does cause grief, and every loss does demand that we walk through that process. Now, you may choose not to walk through the process because you might think it doesn't really matter. But what you'll find out later is that that will come back to get you, all right? So then the other thing is everyone processes grief differently. There's not a single one of us in here with the same personality exactly the same. We all go through things at a different speed, different pace, a different perspective, uh, we have to process it, which leads to the fourth one. You have to process your own grief. Okay? You, can't, you can't just mimic what someone else did and expect that it's going to go just the same way. You have to process your grief with the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. And that's how we have to set this up. And so as we think through those four truths, all right, because that's what's going to happen. You're all going to face it at some point in time. This was a quote that Matt shared last week. It's by Paul Miller. If you want the full context of it, go back and listen, all right? But cynicism moves you away from God, all right? And if you're a good Gen Xer, uh, we're cynical by nature, all right? We, we just, it's born and bred within us, all right? So uh, cynicism moves us away from God, though. Laments push you into his presence. And if you don't know what the laments were, again, uh, it's really important to go back and listen to what Matt said. So, so oddly enough, though, not lamenting leads to unbelief. So in other words, you could honestly say cynicism leads you to unbelief. Because what happens is the more cynical we are, the less we actually believe that God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do and promises what he says he promises. And then when that happens, then reality, our reality of loss, our reality of grief, our reality of sorrow wins in our live, lives and hope dies. Because Jesus Christ and his messages and his message and his promises are all about hope. 
And when that hope goes away, then our cynicism kicks in because it's for other people. It's not for me. It's not what I'm experiencing. So reality wins and hope dies. If we don't learn how to process our grief, that's exactly what's going to happen in our lives. Because grief undealt with will lead to cynicism. Right? You've got to be able to deal with it. Over the last two years, God has had allowed me the incredible opportunity to realize just how poorly I have processed grief in my life. It's been a wonderful experience. I don't encourage it for any of you at all. All right? However, if it is the journey that you're going to face and you're facing an unwelcome experience, I want to give you some tools this morning to be able to hopefully process it better than I did, or at least faster. But I don't even know if I wish that, because at the end of the day, it's what God does in us. In, the, in, our, in our grief and in our sorrow, he does his greatest work. So um, like Matt said last week, he said he didn't do it well. I might as well follow suit. I didn't either. All right. I love my family to death. I, love, I have a great legacy of faith that was given to me. Um, but one thing my family did not impart to me or my sisters, oh, I can't speak for my sisters, did not, I did not receive well, is how to deal with grief. In fact, I was taught boys don't cry. Uh, you, you're taught you, you grow up, you man up, you just pull up your bootstraps, you keep going. Um, weakness, crying is a weakness. You don't deal with your grief. And so I never saw my dad cry. So I just thought, all right, well, all right I just got to do that. That's what I'll do. And so erasing emotions was easy. Now, if you've heard me cry, you know that that's not true in my life anymore. I cried last service, all right? It'll probably happen again at some point in time here. It all happens on stage. It's really wonderful. I love it. I can bury it any other time, but when I'm talking about God, thank you, Jesus. All right. So anyways, um, but we can, but I grew up just burying it. it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be tough. It's what my dad taught me. It's just, it's what, and, and he died 36 years ago. So it's not like I wanted to try and be emotionless. In fact, I didn't even think I was emotionless. But God had this unique opportunity to share with me just how deep my callousness went over those last couple years. So last week, Matt talked about uh, what it means to lament, all right? And that is part of this process of grieving. And if we don't lament, all right, if you don't give yourself a chance to mourn and to lament, it's really likely that this cynicism is going to uh, capsize your faith at some point in time. Look at our theme verse, all right? 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve. Wouldn't it be nice if he just ended it right there? That would be wonderful if the rest of the sentence wasn't there, because then we wouldn't have to go through grief. In fact, the Western society, Western society, we do everything in our power to not have to grieve. We do everything in our power. We spend billions on our health. We spend billions on weight loss. We spend billions on trying not to go to the hospital. We spend billions on everything except for grieving. In fact, you tell a man to go to counseling for grief, they'll be like, nah, ain't no way. I ain't going to open up to nobody. What are you talking about? Men don't cry. Men are, ah, that's for weaky, weak people. I'm not doing that. Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's what I did. And I'm the one that's helped, I've helped people, I've helped hundreds of people go through this. And yet that's still what was in my head going through my mind. And God had to unpack it and just show me how deep it went. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. But he wants us to not grieve like people who have no hope. We have, to, we have to give people hope. As you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to go out into that world and you can impact people with the hope of Jesus Christ far more than we can up here on stage. We 
give you hope, you go into the world and you spread the hope of Jesus Christ. And man, if you just did that with 20 people over the next month, look at the number of lives that will be touched just in this room alone. And that's what God calls the church to do. So we give hope for those who are grieving. And the grief will happen. Because you have a story of pain. I don't know your story of pain. I don't, Shin's already uh, talked about it. We don't know what you walked in with. I don't know what the burden is that you're carrying with you today. But God does. And I guarantee you, we all have a story. We all have a grief to bear. We all have a loss we've worked through. We've all had a grief to share. But I don't know what it is, but I know this about humanity. There's usually, the way that we respond to it, although we're each unique, there are three primary responses to grief that we have in our lives. The first is we either externalize it, and everyone knows, okay, we all have those friends, and they're actually usually the healthiest emotionally, honestly, because they're getting rid of it. They're working through and processing their grief better than others. You might learn from them. Uh, you might internalize it. No one knows you're going through it, but you and God, and you're fine with that. All right, we're going to internalize it. That's fine. That's where I'm going to leave it. Or you deny it, and you don't even know you had it. And see, what I used to think I was, I thought I was an internalizer, because no one would have ever known that I was struggling with anything. Now, you might think, well, really? You always talk about it. Yeah, after the fact. Like, I love to help people after I've figured it out, but being vulnerable in the moment, ah, uh -huh, that ain't going to happen. Like, we're going to bottle that all up, we're going to stuff it in there, we're going to bury it down, and it either isn't happening, or you're just not going to know how deep it went. Okay? Why? Because I don't, I, we're not here to counsel me. I'm telling you how to deal with your own grief. All right? right? I'm in my own counseling. All right? I'm still going right now to fix this thing up there. It's messed up. It really was. I was like, wow, this really went deep. So I thought I was an internalizer, but really I was denying how deep the pain even went. In fact, two years ago when we were or moving, actually a year and a half ago, I didn't even realize just how deep it was, but we were traveling across the country and I had the opportunity to drive across when we were moving out with my daughter, Kayla, my oldest daughter, and we're moving to Arizona. And she's like, Dad, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking, apropos to my personality, because I don't tell you. Um, I don't know how you're feeling, again, consistent. Um, I don't even know what you're thinking about. But I can't imagine all the things that you've been through and the way that people treat you that it hasn't hurt. I can't imagine, she's like, you never hold grudges. You don't ever talk bad about anybody. She's like, but the way that you've been treated over your life, I can't imagine it, it didn't have an effect on you. So maybe this time that God is giving you is a time to heal. And in the moment, I'm like, okay, whatever. How little did I know how accurate she was. And I wish she wouldn't have said it, but God used her to prepare my mind for what was about to be unleashed, because she was exactly right. There were things that I had stuffed and denied. I, didn't, I thought I had skipped the process. I thought I had actually completed the process of grief. I wasn't even denying, the, denial is part of the grieving process. I wasn't even denying the loss. Like I was like, yeah, that hurt. I'm over it. I forgave him. We're moved on. Like I thought I had already gotten to the acceptance part of the five parts of grief. Matt touched on it last week. I didn't even get into grief. I bypassed it totally. And this is what I've learned. If you cheat the process, it's going to catch you. I cheated it for 50 years. I was taught how to cheat it. 
I taught others how to cheat it. I model how to cheat it. I can forgive anybody. I don't, I mean, I, I really can. You can ask my family. But what I do have a really hard time with is identifying how, how much the hurt actually hurts me. Now, that's my way of dealing. Maybe you're fully aware of how much you hurt. Okay, we all, again, we all do this differently. But I got to imagine, being raised in America, we've all had similar stories. And I guarantee you, any Gen X man can also relate with the fact that we were taught we don't cry. It's not, it's not good. It's a sign of weakness. You can't be weak. You're the man. Man up. I used to think David was a whiner and a weakling. Yeah. He killed thousands barehanded. Like he killed a lion and a bear. And I'm thinking he's a wuss, right? Why? Because he wrote the Psalms. Have you read the Psalms? He's like a whiner. No. He taught the kingdom how to lament. I'm the idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that, that wasn't a. That's not a spot to say amen. Good Lord. So we're going to read the Bible and look at how Jesus dealt with lamenting and sorrow and grief. All right, we're going to turn to Matthew 25, 26, verses thirty-six to forty-two. Those of you real Christians, pull out your Bible. The rest of us heathens, pull out your phone. All right. I always swore I'd never do this, but here I am on stage preaching from my phone. Uh huh. Now come on. Right, Theo? Come on. All right. So Matthew 26, verses... Man, I'm getting old, too. <laughs> yeah, will you do? All right. <laughs> then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and I pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. All right, so look at what he did. He gathered his friends... He gathered the 11, and then out of the 11, he chose three more close ones, and he said, come with me. So he's got his friends, and then he's got his really close friends, and they're all there with him. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Man, I don't know if you've been there, but that is a painful place to be when your soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And I didn't know it until I experienced it. He says, stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father. And in some translations, it's dad, dad, Abba, Abba, father, daddy, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Isn't that a good friend? <laughs> but let me tell you, folks, when you're grieving, your friends feel worthless. They do. And friends, that's not a knock on you. It's an, it's an example of what happens in a time of grief. It feels like the ones we're counting on are the ones that are letting us down. And I'm so, until I went through this, I've never read this passage the same way. That's exactly what Jesus' friends did. They let him down in the moment of his darkest hour. And he says, couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Guys, I invited you into my life. I was vulnerable with you, and you fell asleep on me. He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And then he went away a second time, and he prayed, Dad, 
if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. He did it a third time, and the results were the same. He goes back, and the disciples are sleeping each time. Now, I want us to remember that passage for multiple reasons, but the primary one, because Jesus walked the path of grief that we're talking about. Jesus walked the path of sorrow, of soul-crushing, gut-wrenching heartache. Now, in reality, his father did actually leave him. But in a moment of our darkness, we're going to feel like God leaves us. And Jesus walked the literal road of God leaving him so that we could walk behind him and never have to experience it again. But the reality is it's still going to feel the same way. And so I want to stop right here. Uh, in the first service, uh, it was a little bit different uh, because I genuinely believe that there, there is some um, spiritual activity that was going on. But I do believe that here in this service, there are things that you guys are struggling with. And I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what darkness or pain you came in with, but this is what I do know. One of my new favorite songs, Charity Gale, I speak the name of Jesus. I speak the name of Jesus over us all so that we can all hear and receive what it is that God has for us because your pain, your sorrow, your darkness can be permeated by the light of Jesus Christ if we bar the enemy at the gates. But the enemy has a heyday in the darkness of our soul. And so we have to bar him away from us, all right? And that's what Jesus was doing. He was praying in the garden. And so I do believe right now that God is speaking to us this morning. And I know even from the music this morning, uh, before the service, like God is at work in our lives here today. When we're experiencing grief, when we're experiencing that pain, we often feel like God is far from us. That's what Jesus was experiencing in that moment. He's like, the darkness was overwhelming. His soul was being crushed. And when we find ourselves in that moment, the enemy, Satan, he uses that to his advantage because the Bible says that he's a, like a lion seeking whom he may devour. A lion goes after a weakness. There's no greater moment of weakness than when you've isolated yourself in the darkness of your brokenness. The enemy has a heyday there. We face a very real and present enemy. And he's been destroying and separating humans from the love of God since the beginning of time. You see, all he has to do and what he's been doing since the beginning of time, we need to know our enemies when we are in a, an act of war. And so you are in a spiritual war. All of us are every day. This is around us. We have a very real enemy, but he is not more powerful than God. But in a moment of darkness and sorrow, he seems to up the ante. And so in that moment, when it feels like there's, that God is a million miles away, Satan begins to plant the seeds of doubt, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. All he had to do to Adam and Eve, if Adam and Eve were able to be deceived, then trust me, you and I can easily be deceived. All he had to do is say, is God really who he says he is? Is God really trustworthy? Are his promises really real for you? Just, just try what he said not to do. See what happens. All Satan has to do is sow a seed of doubt, a sow a seed of cynicism. Oh, that's good for other Christians, but that doesn't apply to me. Like, God, that's not how God treats me. You don't even know. Like, if God really cared about me, he wouldn't let half the crap happen to me that he does. That's how we feel. I mean, that, that's what I have felt multiple times. It's certainly what I felt over the last couple of years. 
You know, when we sing songs and we sing that song, up until two months ago, I wouldn't have been able to say amen to that song because I'd have been like, whatever, that's a bunch of Christian cliche. I'm the epitome of why Christian or people that are coming into church don't feel like God's really real to them. Because we're going through it and we don't really highlight the fact that it feels empty at times. But I'm here to tell you today, two months later, God, God has come through. And I can sing that song. And I can tell you that there is light at the end of the darkness. But here's, here's what happened to Jesus shortly after his... Uh, his go ahead to the... I skipped that one. I missed it. Sorry. Go to the verse. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. From three, darkness covered the land. And that's important for us to realize when we're in that moment of sorrow, darkness is going to consume your soul. Keep keep looking at what Jesus experienced. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the moment of your darkness, it is going to feel like God has abandoned you. And this, my friends, is the only time where God has ever abandoned anybody. And he had to abandon his son because God had, Jesus had to descend to the depths of hell and overcome the darkness so that you and I don't have to. But when we are going through our own darkness, it's going to feel like God abandoned us. But in reality, Jesus is right there with us. But we have to learn to trust him. And when we're going through our darkness, it's the hardest place. It's the hardest thing to do is actually trust that he's real. Because if he is a real God and he can do all that he says he can do, then why doesn't he take this away from me? And that's a real question that we ask ourselves in those moments. So when the sorrow arrives on our doorstep, the darkness follows. And that's exactly like, it literally followed Christ on the cross. It covered the land. And I can give you the psychology behind it, what actually happens in the neuro- neurologically in our minds and the darkness that's there in these moments of sorrow. You can read the books. You can read the psychology. I don't care how long, though, you've been a believer. I don't care how much psychology you know. I don't care what you know about the scriptures. I don't care how many loved ones you have. When you are faced with your darkness, it feels as if you are alone. And it doesn't matter how much we know. And I had to, now it's good that you know something because you have an anchor that you can go to. But in the moment, you still need someone to help you in the moment. Because in the feeling of abandonment, in the feeling of God's abandonment, our world literally goes dark. But I want to focus on something here. I want you to see the word feeling. Because in these moments of darkness, your feelings cannot be trusted. Because your feelings are going to tell you things. Your feelings are going to say, push your loved ones away. Your feelings are going to say, they don't really care. Your feelings are going to say a whole lot of lies. Your feelings are going to say, God doesn't care. Your feelings, and they're all lies, okay? But they're very powerful. And you just have to know going into your darkness that your feelings cannot be trusted. But you have to also know that your feelings are extremely powerful. And they can, they can take ours. They can take our cynicism to a very dark spot if we're not careful. I had to learn for myself, and maybe you do too, that my faith, my acceptance, my what I thought I had done with grief, my knowledge of psychology, none of it was adequate to overcome the darkness that pervaded my mind. Hmm. That was pretty depressing to me. So then, guess what that only did? 
it fueled the cynicism even more. <laughs> God really isn't enough then. If, if it's not enough for me, then who the is it good for? Right? You might as well fill in the blank. We all think it. God already knows what we think. And that's how deep and dark our darkness goes. It really is. But then God turns on the light because he doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to keep thinking those horrible thoughts because he gives us this promise. Look at this. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those of you who mourn. Man, this is not how it feels. <laughs> when you're in the throes of your darkness, it does not feel like a blessing from God. It feels like a curse. It feels like he is ripping your soul apart. It feels as if he is non-skillfully cutting you open and pulling out all the crud that's inside of you. When in reality, he is going in as a skillful surgeon, revealing the darkness that exists within your soul. If you genuinely get to the point where you have a soul-crushing darkness upon you, God is doing his deepest work in your life. If you find yourself there, God is at work in your life doing a work that only he can do. And it's going to hurt, but this is what he wants to have happen. He wants you to know that you will be comforted by him because in the moment of the deepest, darkest darkness, he is going to come in and he is going to reveal the light. He is going to reveal the way. He is going to reveal the victory that he won when he went into the depths of hell, when he was abandoned by his father and he won the victory over death and he won the victory over darkness. And in your moment of deep mourning, in your moment of soul-crushing darkness, that is where he does his greatest work. And that's the hope that he's going to provide for you if you let him. So here's what I had to do with my grief. I'm going to give you a few steps that I had to identify in my own life in order to be able to allow Christ. And, and folks, I've been following Christ since I was three years old. So I knew the truths, but I had cheated grief. I had cheated the process. We did a class called Reboot several years ago. And when I was doing that class uh, and helping to lead the dumb thing, uh, there was this picture. There was this picture of this tree, and it has these, and it was dead, and you had to identify what are the things and what brings life and everything. And my tree was alive except for this one part of the tree, and it was totally dead. And it was grief. And God told me that. He's like, You're, I want your tree to produce life through grief. And in my mind, oh, whatever, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, grief is sadness. Like, I, get away with it. And that's what I, I thought I did. Like, just get rid of it. But that's not how God works. So he, I clearly wasn't in the right spot yet. I had to process my own grief, right? I wasn't in the right spot. God's like, well, he's still an idiot. All right. So he's like, I had to acknowledge my pain. I had to learn how deep did the pain really go? I had to acknowledge that I even hurt. I had to realize I had to be vulnerable. That's horrible to me and probably to several of you. Like that just isn't okay in my head. But I had to acknowledge, yeah, that really did hurt. And then, not only did I have to acknowledge it, I had to allow God to reveal the depth of it. He peeled back the layers. It wasn't, it wasn't just the current loss, and that's a, that's a big thing. When you're, allowed, when you're with your friends going through stuff, it might not have anything to do with the current loss that you think they're facing. God might be doing, a, probably is, a much deeper work in their lives. So here's what else 
I had to do when he finally revealed that part about my thinking, I had to change it. Once I acknowledged it, I had to change what I thought about mourning. Mourning is a blessing. It's not a weakness or a curse. And that's so much of what we've been taught. It's so much of what our society, in fact, if you go to some secular counselors, they'll tell you to do whatever feels good. (laughs) That's horrible advice. (laughs) Horrible advice. It might help in the moment, but it's it's going to make you cheat grief. I can, pos- I can promise you that. Because grief is something to process, not get rid of. You see, so many of us, we want to just get through it. We want to get past it. We want to get over it. And in reality, God's like, nope, I'm going to walk with you through it. And the only way you're going to truly understand the magnitude of my divine nature is when you see me show up in your morning. Man, and when we do that tree comes alive in our life, in all things, not just in the good times, but in the bad times as well. We don't even know how deep the darkness goes. I will tell you, though, don't wait till you're 50 and process all of it at one time. There's a lot there if that's your choice. So God bless you. Call me when you're there. I'll cry with you, and I'll just listen, because there's a lot there that God's probably going to have to rip out of you. So, the other thing that Jesus did is he gathered his closest friends. When you're going through this, this is going to feel exactly opposite of what you need to do. You need to gather your friends. Jesus did it, and Job did it. Now, Jesus and Job's friends were both worthless. (laughs) Okay? Seriously. It's okay, friends. It is. It's okay. But they both modeled it for us. Why? Because it's important that we have those that we love around us. Now, they weren't worthless because they didn't intend good things. They, they were worthless. I shouldn't say worthless. Stop. Don't use that word. They did not provide the help that the two individuals needed in the moment. Why? Because they were addressing the wrong problem. The disciples didn't even stay awake, but they were there. Their presence. In the moment of, of going through grief, your presence around the person is far more important than your words. In fact, the more words you share probably is going to be worse. That's what Job's friends did. They were with them all the way to the end. They sat with them all the way to the end. They even endured God's chastisement. In fact, God wanted to wipe his friends all out. But they were with Job all the way to the end. They, they just shared too many words. Well, maybe, Job, it's because you're sinning and you're living in sin. And God's like, nope, wrong again, guys. I want to I show him how much I'm going to be there for him. I'm using this as an example. And see, when we're in that moment, we have to have our loved ones around us. I love how C.S. Lewis uh, talks about this part. He wrote a book called Grief Observed. Really good book. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to go back. And, just, and mind you, I'm trying to download two years into 30 minutes. So there's a lot more that can be said here. So if you think there's something missing, there's a lot missing. These are the highlights. These are the the necessary components that I think are applicable across the board. If you find yourself in grief, or you find yourself in the spiral, in the spiral of grief, if you've ever been in a soul-crushing moment, you know exactly what that spiral is. It's a horrible spiral. You go down it fast. Um, If you find yourself in that spiral, then you'll most likely need help from others. Because if you find yourself in the spiral, I can promise you, your brain is not working correctly. If you find yourself in your spiral, your feelings are 100% irrational. You might be the most rational person on the face of the earth, but if you're in a spiral, you are not. And you might think you are, 
I'm just here to tell you you're not, and we have to be okay. That's part of that acknowledging the pain. We are not being rational in that moment. You will most likely need help from others. Accept what others have to say when they are the ones that you know love you. It doesn't mean accept everybody. Jesus had his closest three. Accept what they say when you know that they love you. Keep going. And then he says, at other times, it feels like being mild, mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says. When you are the person that is in a place of grief, when you are the person dealing with loss, when you're the person that's mourning, it is hard to even hear what anybody is saying. They might have the best words of advice ever, but just know you, it's hard to hear it. Literally, physically, mentally, emotionally. It, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher talking. Like it just doesn't even make sense. And if you're the friend sharing it, just realize they're in a horrible spot. They're not purposely trying to ignore you. They're not purposely trying to push you away. They're not purposely trying to make horrible decisions that hurt your relationship and your friendship. They're just in a horrible spot. And it's hard for them to get out of it. It is part of the grieving process. So there's a little lesson in there for all of us those that are going through it and those of us that are watching it happen. We just have to be patient with the process. And it is horrible. The process is horrible. It hurts. It's painful. Uh, you, you wish you could just take them out of it. it. You just can't speed the process up and you can't take people through it. Like it, They got to process it on their own. And it's just, it's just a thing. Watch what Jesus did though. In that moment, he prayed. So when he gathered his friends, what did they do? Who knows what's best for each one of us when we're going through that moment? The Holy Spirit, right? So who do we pray to? God, the Holy Spirit. This is what we have to do. We pray the prayers of lament. If you don't know what the prayers of lament are, go back and listen to Pastor Matt's sermon last week. Read the Psalms. Unlike me, I've avoided the Psalms my entire life. I don't like them. Huh, I wonder why I cheated grief. I didn't even learn from the king who shared it with his, with his nation on how to lament. Man, it's right there. Isn't that sad? Pastor, 30 years, and I avoid the psalm? Man, it's just funny to me now, but I did. That's what I did. We got to learn to pray them. I got a lot of catching up to do on these. <laughs> this psalm's 150 chapters. It's a long book. It's a, it's not a toilet reader. All right, keep going. God will not be shocked or hurt by your brokenness or anger. When you lament, when you lament, he's not broken by it. It doesn't mess up his kingdom. When you share how mad you are at him, he's does, it doesn't distort his reality. He already knows. He's not messed up by that. That's what a lament is. We lament. Have you read David? Like he shared his heart with God. I was like, man, I'm going to back away from you, buddy. That's what it's like. That's a lament. When you're lamenting, those around you are uncomfortable by the words you're sharing. You shouldn't say that to God. Why? He already knows what I thought. It's part of that grieving process. Now, what it, what it does lead us to is another prayer, all right? It, it leads to a prayer of repentance, all right? So after you lament and you share what you're thinking... Then you need to go back and say, sorry, God, I didn't really mean it. I know you're really good. Like, that's what David did. It's like you're bipolar. I'm like, I don't, I don't get this guy. After these last two years, I totally get this guy. It's like, no, God, I, I know that's not right. That's not right. I, I didn't mean that. I, I'm sorry. 
you are who you say you are. You are holy. You will bring victory. You will do all that you say. Your promises are true. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord. That's a lament, and that's a prayer of repentance. But if you haven't even given your life to Jesus Christ, that's the first prayer of repentance you've got to have. If, you are, if you're walking far from God, and, and you're so cynical, you don't even believe God exists, and you're just here because your wife or your brother or your aunt or your uncle drug, dragged you here, that's the first thing you've got to do, and I get it. Maybe you're, again, the more cynical we are, the greater our losses, all right? The, the more cynical you live, probably you have a story that is unmatched by those sitting beside you. That's the reality of our cynicism. And that's why it wins over the hope of Jesus Christ. So that's the first prayer of repentance you've got to have is you've got to change your thinking about who Christ is in the first place. Then those of us, <clears throat> excuse me, that do believe in Jesus Christ, if we pray that prayer of lament, then we have to pray a prayer of repentance because what happens in that lament is Jesus rips past and the Holy Spirit rips out of us the darkness that exists within us. And we are rotten people. We really are. And he reveals to us the core of that, that sorrow and what needs to be changed. And so we need to repent of that. But just realize God's not surprised by it. All right? he's, he's been with us our entire lives watching what we have done. So once we pray the prayer of repentance, we have to understand that deep sorrow takes us to a deep pain. And it may not have anything to do with what you think you're grieving. And that's the, that was the surprising part for me, is I thought it was one thing, and then God's like, nope, this is what you're really dealing with. And it went way deeper than what I was prepared for. And I had no idea how much I had stuffed or how much I had buried. Why? Because it works until it doesn't. That's why cynicism is effective all right denial is effective but then we have to it's going to catch up with us it will catch up with you i encourage you don't wait too long because it just gets more painful but i will say if you're facing your darkest times and folks you need the love of jesus christ the songs we sing i do pray keep singing them till you feel it there's gonna be a moment you don't feel it that's okay i've been there i i know like i'd I know the promises, but I didn't believe them. They're for everybody else, not for me, because if they were for me, then Jesus wouldn't be allowing this to happen, right? Unfortunately, when, we're, when the darkness comes, we're so accustomed to the darkness that we don't even realize how dark our darkness is. We're, we're, we're so used to walking in our own paths, we don't even realize how dark it is. Our cynicism feeds our reality over and over again until it's so dark we don't even realize how much we've covered up. It's part, of, it's part of the dilemma of humanity. And when or if you find yourself in this moment, just realize that this is happening. Because what I want you to, what I want you to realize isn't anything about my story. I hope that I give you tools so that if you find yourself there, you can, there's a little spark of hope, a little ray of hope that's like, oh, this is what he was talking about. God, help me to find that. Help me to find the truth of your word in this moment. Help me to let go of the darkness that is in me. Lord, reveal how deep and dark the darkness is. And that's a dangerous prayer, friends. If you really pray that and you genuinely mean it, Jesus will show you. He will. He promises it. But pray it. Because in that moment, once he reveals it, guess what else he does? He heals it. He'll reveal it and he'll heal it. But you've got to let him. You've got to trust that he actually is who he says he is. 
So let me do a quick recap, all right? Because there's the steps that I want you to be able to follow, all right? Oh yeah, every loss demands this process of grief. Like there is no loss. Now again, I said every, every grief isn't equal, all right? There are different depths of grief and loss, but I promise you every loss demands grieving it, lamenting it. I don't care if, if it's um, a lost fingernail and the foulest words came out of your mouth when it happened, all right? That was a loss, all right? Grieve it, get over it, it'll grow back not equal to losing a loved one, right? But it's still hurt in a moment. See, there's a process of grief. That's a lot easier to deal with than the emotional pain of losing someone we love. Keep going. Here's what I want you to realize. When the darkness comes, be prepared, all right? If you ever went through Boy Scouts, you know be prepared was the model, right? Well, it's just kind of the same way in our walk with Christ. The darkness is going to come, all right? You're going to have to walk through it if you're not walking through it right now or if there's a loved one that you have that's walking through it right now. Acknowledge the pain. You've got to acknowledge how deep does that pain really go. And then you've got to change your thinking. You've got, you got to reframe your thinking. And there's a whole ton of neurological uh, science behind that that I don't have time to go into. Gather the ones you love. And that's going to feel opposite of what you want to do. You're not going to want anybody around you. You're going to want to be left alone. Nobody really knows. Nobody understands. You just don't get it. All right? That's how it feels, okay? You gotta push past that. You gotta gather the ones you love and trust to know that in a moment when I'm rationally thinking, I know these people are trustworthy. And then receive their love. You've gotta let them love you. I, I, I know if you haven't ever gone through this, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't want their love at that moment, but you need to receive it. Don't push them away. Uh, folks, we say some horrible things when we're hurting. It's like a, like a coyote's foot in a trap. Like they'll lash out on a person trying to save them. All right? So it's what happens when we're in a moment of grief. If you're going through this with a loved one, they may say some horrible things to you. Uh, it's not personal, but it's going to feel really personal. And you can't try and fix them. And oftentimes then it just makes you mad. And then you're going to want to lash out on it again and, and more. And then that's just going to make it worse. All right? So... It is really hard going through grief for everybody involved, all right? So it's a process. Pray lament prayers. You got to get it out. You can't hold it in. You can't stuff it down. You can't deny it. You can't ignore it. Eventually, it's going to catch you. Pray repentance prayers because once you let it all out, you're going to realize, huh, probably shouldn't have done that. Repent, okay? It's, it's a real thing. And then you got to trust his goodness. Christ is going to come in. He's going to heal it. He's going to reveal the light. He's going to show you the darkness of your soul. And then he's going to do just what he promised. And I could not have preached this two months ago, but he is going to come in. And, I'm, and it is so fast. It is amazing to me how quickly he heals. And it is so frustratingly slow how quickly he tears apart or how slowly he tears apart. He can heal in a moment but the process feels like it takes forever. And I don't understand that part. I, I don't know if I ever will. I'm not that far out of it. Give me another year and have Matt bring me back again and maybe I'll know more. I don't know. But I do know that it hurts. And I do know that Christ brings hope. And that's what I want to leave with you most importantly. I don't know the hurt you're going through, but I know Jesus wants to bring you hope in the midst of it. I don't know what your loved ones are going through, but I know that God wants to bring hope to them as well. We've got to go through the process. Don't cheat it. It'll sneak back in and it'll grab you. Just know that, know that the church is here. We love you. And I'm, 
pretty sure there's someone in your life that loves you. And if there isn't, then you're here, the church does. So there are those around you that are here to help. And Christ is the one who's most important. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. We come before you. Lord, I don't know the pain that people are in here this morning. I don't know the sorrow, the depths. But God, you do. You know what they're struggling with. And Lord, I just trust that the power of your Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Lord, whatever it is, whatever is true, Lord, seal it up in our hearts. Whatever is false, let it fall by the wayside. But God, I just pray right now that the power of your Spirit would truly bring hope to those in a dark place. God, we know you, we trust you. And Lord, in those moments where we're struggling to trust you, God, I pray that you give those people strength just to continue to hold on one more day, just to keep on waiting, just keep on trusting, keep on moving forward, and knowing that one day, God, you are going to bring the light once we continue and complete the process. Lord God, help us to feel your hope in the times of our darkness. In your name we pray, amen.